All right, I'm going to start today with an answer to a question that I got last Wednesday night. And you may have been thinking this, and or it may come up a little bit in our discussion at the end of last time too, and I didn't record it, so I'm going to record the answer. So the question was, how could Solomon be the wisest man to ever live and still make foolish choices? So a couple obvious foolish choices were the marriage of multiple women, uh, the blatantly disobeying God's commands, which we'll look at some of those this week and some of them maybe uh, in the next couple of weeks. Those are some obvious things. So he's got all this wisdom and we'll see his vast amount of wisdom that God says or was his today. But how could he make foolish choices? So I got four four thoughts on this and if you got some other things that come to your mind that's not in this feel free to uh to add to my not exhaustive list likely so so what does solomon ask for and the answer is that he asked for wisdom to govern and to rule so god was pleased with giving him the wisdom to govern and rule but in his possible youth or and maybe he didn't ask for wisdom to obey god he doesn't ask for that okay so he asked for wisdom to govern and rule and we'll see today how he gets an answer clearly an answer to that specific god was pleased it wasn't like he asked for something wrong it wasn't uh but he did get what he asked for wisdom to govern and rule and he clearly, as we'll see today, he did understand the natural world better than anyone else. The second observation, um, what he didn't ask for was the wisdom to glorify God or to walk with God or to obey God. So there's a difference between wisdom to govern and rule and wisdom to walk with walk with God. All right. Third um, observation. We must conclude then, because he did disobey, um, and most of his rule was a disobedient life, that wisdom is not the primary ingredient to an obedient, faithful life. Let me show you what First Kings 3.3 3, uh, does say about Solomon. And we saw this last week, but maybe in answer to this question may be helpful. First Kings 3.3 3, tells us that Solomon does start his reign by walking in the statutes. So 1 Kings 3.3 3 says, Solomon is walking in the statutes of David his father, except that he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. Um, so I skip the first phrase because I think that is the key that's the distinguishing piece of wisdom and obedience so we must conclude that wisdom is not the primary ingredient to an obedient faithful life solomon doesn't lack knowledge about god's ways or the statutes because as a king and as a son of a king david was going to make sure that the son that takes over the kingdom is going to follow deuteronomy and at least Solomon started his kingdom and his rule by following Deuteronomy and walking in the statutes, because the Bible says that. 
he started out well. Okay. And what does First Kings 3 3 tell us why he started out well? And it wasn't wisdom that it magnifies. What's it say in First Kings 3 3? Solomon loved the Lord. Ah, okay. So obedience to God and walking in his ways is not just about wisdom. It's about loving God. If it was about wisdom, all of us are less wise than Solomon, right? <laughs> okay. So if you and I struggle with, and I, I get frustrated now to know things and not know how to apply them. Like, I know there's scripture that says something about this, but I just can't remember all of the scripture and then how to apply it all at once. Like that requires wisdom, but it's not obedience to God. Isn't about wisdom primarily. It helps. It's about loving the Lord, your God with all your heart. So what's the greatest commandment? The greatest commandment that God tells us is not to get wisdom. The greatest commandment is, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Does Jesus emphasize this and the rest of the New Testament emphasize this too? I think you'll find John 14, 15 says that Jesus says in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. Not if you're wise, keep my commandments, but if you love me, keep my commandments. And first John talks about loving God, uh, keeping his, his word, not sinning. So we can't rival Solomon's wisdom and wisdom doesn't guarantee obedience. However, we can rival Solomon's love for the Lord. And if Solomon would have kept loving the Lord, that would have kept him obedient. And we can, and everyone in the New Testament is expected to love God and love one another. And if we will love God and love one another, then we will be obe obeying the Ten Commandments, which is a summary of those, and we'll be obeying all of the Old Testament if we love God and love others. So, and it doesn't require a vast amount of wisdom. Love is different. Love is expected of every single believer. If you love me, you keep my commandments. And it sounds um, like what? why didn't Solomon, and we'll see if, if this plays out in Solomon's life. Is it what caused him to disobey a lack of love? I think we're going to find that to be true. And so then for us, wisdom is not what will keep us obedient, but love for the Lord uh, our Lord and Savior, Redeemer, King, Friend, all of what we see of our relationship with our God isn't our strongest connection to God and our obedience to him is not wisdom, but it's love. And 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15 says, the love of Christ controls me. And Saul, or, uh, Paul's conclusion that if one died for all, then all have died. And we've died so that we wouldn't live for ourselves, but we'd live for him who died and rose again. We'll see as Solomon writes uh, a regretful book of Ecclesiastes that he goes after things that he knows he shouldn't have gone after, and he regrets that. 
And he tells us the conclusion of it is to fear God and obey his commandments. And what will help us to um, learn from Solomon's mistakes is wisdom isn't enough. Wisdom can only take you so far. But love is something that has no limits. And it will take us all the way to obeying and glorifying God of what God expects us of us. So the simplest of minds who lack wisdom can still obey God if they will choose to love him. And love is a choice. Uh, wisdom is more complicated than that. But obedience is tied to love, not just wisdom. Hopefully that's helpful. Uh, we can talk at the end um, about, uh, about that or if you get any other uh, questions. So let's look today then at Solomon's uh, life in 1 Kings. Still, 1 Kings has a lot more information about this time of Solomon's reign than Chronicles does. Chronicles has four verses that match 316 to 28 and all of chapter 4 of 1 Kings. So we're just going to stay in in first kings and we know the story i love reading this story though and the benefit of the old testament is to give us truth and then a large amount of narrative or story because we connect well with stories and um we can't skip this story this story is fascinating all right so we're going to read it uh first kings 3 starting in verse 16 and this is an example of solomon's wisdom uh, Chronicles doesn't have this story, so this is the only place that we find this story in Scripture. Then two prostitutes came, and this is when Solomon is still young. This is early on in his reign. They come to the king, and they stand before him, two prostitutes. The one woman says, Oh, my Lord, uh, this woman and I live in the same house, and I gave birth to a child while she was in the house. Then on the third day after I gave birth, this woman also gave birth. So they give birth right around the same time. Their babies are the same age. And we were alone. There was no one else in the house. So there's no other witnesses to what is going on. It's one person's word versus the other. Only uh, we two were in the house. Verse 19, and this woman's son died in the house in the night uh, because she lay on him. And it was probably customary to sleep with your child um, and rolling over, uh, likely, uh, or getting caught in the sheets, whatever her son dies because uh, she lay on him. And she arose at midnight, very middle of the night, took my son from beside me while, uh, your servant, she's talking about herself, slept and laid him at her breast and then laid her dead son at my breast. So it's just switched the babies in the night. Verse 21, when I arose in the morning to nurse my child, behold, he was dead. And when I looked at him closely in the morning, uh, as a mother would look closely at a child, behold, he is not the child. He was not the child that I had um, born. But the other woman said, no, the living child is mine and the dead child uh, is yours. The first said, no, the dead child is yours and the living child is mine. Thus they spoke before the king. So this is the days before uh, DNA tests and security cameras. So well, there's no way of getting the footage from a security camera or DNA test to determine who really is the, the rightful mother. So Solomon is here put in a position where it's going to require wisdom. 
Now, parents are put in a position this uh, in this kind of scenario, probably without death at, <laughs> at, uh, uh, on the line, but many, many different times. And we as parents, if you have been put in this a similar kind of, it's one word versus the other. You're like, okay, I don't know how to discern this. This is going to require some, who's really telling the truth and who's not. Because someone's lying and someone's telling the truth, but they both, well, I don't know them. And I don't know who is telling the truth and who's lying. So it, we're going to require a lot of wisdom here. And Solomon asked for wisdom for these kind of situations. Because he is he is the Supreme Court of God's people. And he knows that he's going to get the hardest cases. Like mm -hmm. Moses got the hardest cases in the Old Testament to discern. And there were times when Moses says, okay, I don't know the solution. So I'm going to have to go talk to God. And God gave him who, what, what to do. And because Moses was the Supreme Court, whenever they're mm -hmm. wandering around the wilderness. Well, the king is the Supreme Court. And so he needs wisdom. And it's not like today's Supreme Court where there's nine justices and rarely is it nine zero. It's a seven two or it's five to four or something else. And there's disagreement on the court. There's one person on the Supreme Court and he is he's got God's wisdom. And as if you were close to this situation, hearing both sides, no one really knows who's telling the truth. So how are they going to determine it? Verse 23, the king says, well, the one says, this is my son that is alive and your son is dead. And the other says, no, but your son is dead and my son is the living one. And the king says, bring me a sword. So a sword was brought before the king. And people are wondering, what is he doing with the sword? And verse 25, the king says, divide the living child in two. And give half to the one and half to the other. Now, this sounds barbaric, but as a king, he's got the right to do this. This isn't out of bounds for a king to do this. How many times have you heard that a king can just take someone's life if they, he doesn't like the situation? Now, would this alleviate Solomon's problem with these ladies? Well, yeah. He's <laughs> like, okay, you guys can't decide. I'm just going to get rid of the living child. And you guys are out of my hair. There's the door. And he could have done that. And maybe some harsh, wicked kings would have done this. Okay, but he's he's not planning. We know he's not planning to put the child to death because he's a godly king at this point. So he doesn't just want rid of these ladies. He wants justice uh, and trying to figure out how to get to justice. So dividing the son who's alive and giving them half obviously isn't going to solve the problem with justice. Verse 26, then the woman whose son was alive said to the king, because her heart yearned for her son, oh, my Lord, give her the living child. By no means put him to death. But the other said, no, nah, he shall neither be mine nor yours. Divide him. Well, okay. At this point, when I was a kid and I heard this story, I'm like, Whoa, as a kid, I don't know if I was six, seven, eight years old. At this point, I'm like, I know who the mother is. <laughs> okay. Right. But to come up with this kind of situation without having a precedent for it requires God's wisdom. That's what we have to conclude. 
Like how did Solomon know as a probably 18, 19 year old, maybe 20, how did he know to do this? Because he's not getting advisors telling him to do this. He's getting God's wisdom. God's telling him to do this because God gave him all this wisdom. And everyone's observing the king's wisdom at a young age. Verse 27, then the king answered and says, give the living child to the first woman. By no means put him to death. She is his mother. And everyone listening and observing this is like, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's good. That was really good. So how does, how does uh, obviously the, the, the ladies leave? And this story circulates throughout the whole kingdom. Because verse 28, all Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered, and they stood in awe. Another translation is they feared the king, respected him, because they perceived this wasn't earthly natural wisdom that he had. This wasn't learned in a book or in justice class. They perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. So Solomon asked for wisdom to govern and to give justice. God gives him this wisdom, and here's evidence that he has it. And Solomon is prospering. We're not going to have time to read all of chapter 4, but all of chapter 4 tells us uh, about the political and religious leaders that Solomon has around him. It matches how Kings uh, and Chronicles referred to David's leaders as well. Mention them by name, who's in charge of what, uh, in uh, verses 1 to 6. Then how Solomon governs his kingdom, uh, probably the economy. Uh, as, a, uh, as a king, he's obviously on the top of the economy and how the people in his kingdom are providing for him. And so he divides it up by month and um, set different sections of Israel, maybe the different tribes. It doesn't sound like exactly tribes, but different parts of Israel are divided so that one-twelfth of the burden of providing for all of Solomon's um, leaders um, is spread out throughout the kingdom. And at the end of verse 19, you see there's one governor who was over the land. It sounds probably the similar to what Joseph was in charge of in Egypt um, as the governor of Egypt. Pharaoh didn't even know what he had because he just trusted in Joseph. And when it came to how Solomon has designed his kingdom, uh, it is a vast kingdom. And there's a lot of people at the top, a lot of leaders that need to be fed, provided for. And if we know Solomon's household, he's got a thousand wives eventually. And then all their kids, I mean, just if every wife has one child, I mean, that's 2000 people that Solomon's got to provide for. And so um, it's divided up uh, by 12 and only the burden of providing is only limited to one month at a time. Let's see, though, uh, how during Solomon's reign, how all of Israel is faring, okay? Solomon obviously is faring pretty well. He's got wisdom, but he also we was promised by God that he's going to have prosperity and um, not lack anything, and he's not going to have enemies. So let's see how Israel 
is faring alongside their king. We saw verse 28 of chapter 3 that they all feared Solomon's wisdom. So knowing that story, if you were trying to get justice, you would want to go there. But if you were the, the uh, prostitute who laid on your child and tried to swap the kids in the middle of the night, you would not want to go to Solomon after that. So every crooked person in Solomon's reign, if you knew that story, you're like, I don't think we ought to go to Solomon. Why don't you want to go to Solomon? Your opponent would say, because you're going to find out the truth. You're going to be exposed as a fraud or whatever. Yes, that's what would happen. So that's going to be a great kingdom where lying is going to be minimized and injustice is going to be neutralized because you've got the wisdom of the king like that. All right, so they're fearing him, and they're going to want to uh, go to him to get justice, and they're going to get justice when they go to him because of his wisdom. But Israel gets more than just justice. Verse 20 of chapter 4, it says, Judah and Israel were as many as the sand of the sea, sand by the sea. So the prosperity of Judah and Israel, and even in this, there's an expectation of the divided kingdom, which is going to come right after Solomon. But Judah in the south, Israel in the north, um, they are obviously prospering numerically. So vast. So David counted them and he wasn't supposed to. And the kingdom is multiplying um, very well. And if you were the king over 2 million people or the king over 20 million people, your kingdom is 10 times more. And so... Uh, as of current numbers, I think today the Jewish uh, people are about 20 million people, and it may be, uh, I'm, I'm guessing here, we don't have numbers, but it may be about that size under Solomon. After there's a division, and um, we're, not, we're not sure, but from the size of the army that he inherits, plus verses like this make it sound like um, this is the height of Israel's prosperity numerically but they're also prospering more than numerically look at the end of verse 20 they ate and drank and were happy if you were to go throughout solomon's kingdom you would find that in the towns even though some of them had to provide for the king and a lot of finances had to go uh, to the king and taxes and that food that was provided the overall population under solomon's rule they were happy that's what you want as a king do you want everybody underneath you to be angry and mad that's it's where they're going under Rehoboam, Solomon's son. But as far as how the kingdom was governed, uh, there was joy, happiness in the kingdom. Then if you look at uh, chapter 4 and verse 25, uh, this may also explain why they're uh, happy uh, because of verse 25 of chapter 4. And Judah and Israel lived in safety. From Dan, that's the far north, to Beersheba, that's the far south. Every man under his vine and under his fig tree. So everyone's on his own property and his vine and his own fig tree, that there's prosperity on their, on their land. And notice this prosperity goes all the days of Solomon. So with David and with King Saul, the last 80 years before Solomon, there's constantly people coming uh close to them taking some of their crops uh the philistines are coming in the days of saul and constantly raiding and 
and Saul, Saul, King Saul has constantly fighting them. David seems to eliminate that threat, and then he eliminates all the other threats around um, Israel and Judah, so that Solomon inherits a kingdom, and all the people under Solomon are had a, a very peaceful um, kingdom. So let's look then, uh, so enjoying peace and safety. So let's look then at the conclusion in uh, verses 29 to 34. And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breadth of mind. Um, this word can also be translated heart. Okay. So breadth of heart. Uh, it's probably better translated mind because breadth of heart is like, what? <laughs> uh, and the heart, the word for heart in the Old Testament based on the context, can also mean the mind or your desire, the inner part of man. And so here the ESV translates it mind, which is is probably a better translation than heart because breadth of heart, we think, oh, he had a big heart. He had just compassion. But that's not what it's talking about in the context. It's definitely talking about wisdom. Breadth of mind means he is got the ability to understand more than anyone else. Before. That's how God um, gives him all this wisdom. And likely Solomon is learning from the wisest people, but he hardly forgets anything. Um, and we hear, we talk about a photographic memory. Uh, Solomon probably had it. And he may not have had it before this, that prayer, but after the prayer, he definitely has it. And maybe he's remembering things that he learned, but he forgot. But now because God's helping him, and it clearly God gets the glory here because of verse 29 says, God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure. God gave him the breadth of mind like the sand on the seashore. And the result is Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the East, all the wise people of the East, all the wisdom of Egypt, that would be West and South. And it says here some specific people that, if you were around that time, you're like, well, what about Ethan the Ez Ezraite, or Heman, or Kekol, or Darda, or the sons of Mahol? Um, no, compared to those guys, Solomon clearly surpasses them because they merely had natural wisdom, and Solomon has supernatural wisdom. All right, and his fame is spreading. Uh, just as his wisdom within Israel spread in chapter 3, as he talks to, and wise people often were very, really wealthy people that could travel, and they would get together with other wise people, and they would talk about proverbs and wisdom that they, how to understand uh, the natural world and how to understand everything. And as these wise people gathered to hear Solomon speak, and Queen of Sheba may be one example of her coming to hear and, and see Solomon's wisdom, how he governed his kingdom, um, they're hearing and they're like, okay, I, we have never heard. We have traveled to other places and heard wisdom. We have never heard this type of wisdom. So God is getting glory from the nations as they're gathering to hear Solomon speak. And verse 32, he spoke 3,000 proverbs and his songs were 1,005. Um, some of those proverbs are recorded for us in the book of Proverbs. And I'm not sure about the the songs. We have one psalm that's attributed to uh, Solomon. I wonder if some of the Proverbs may have been 
uh, songs as well, poetry. Uh, how vast is his wisdom? Verse 33, he spoke of trees from the cedar that is in Lebanon to the hyssop that grows uh, out of the wall. He understands how trees work, how other plants work. He spoke of also beasts and of birds and of reptiles and official, all of God's creation that Solomon could observe, that he could understand. Uh, he understands the food chain. He understands uh, all of uh, the natural realm better than anyone else. And then verse 34, and people of all nations came to hear wisdom of Solomon and from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. So um, this wisdom is written down so we can read about it. It's vast and it was so attractive uh, to all the nations. Unfortunately, as we started with, Wisdom wasn't enough. Wisdom was limited by a love for God. And we'll see that Solomon's life is characterized by things are turning his love away from God. So while he's got wisdom and he's going to keep writing, and then he writes at the end of life, the book of Ecclesiastes, wisdom wasn't enough without love. So that gives us hope that oh, I could never be that wise. <laughs> I could never govern or I couldn't even uh, come up with a solution to two people coming in, both one of them's lying. One, I can't tell the difference, but we don't have, we're not put in that position, but we are put in a position of, do we have a love for God that's going to keep us obedient? Because uh, we don't have the same position as Solomon, but we have the opportunity to live life and what would be said of our life throughout our lives is, do we love God and do we obey his statutes? And we do have Solomon's wisdom that we can use uh, to help us make uh, wise choices. We'll stop here and we'll look at the um, at Second Chronicles 1, um, the parallel passage next time.